With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring a laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring a laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amazing Avenue in Conversation. My name is Brian Salvatore, and today my guest is Josh Kalnick of the band Small Black. Small Black mixes keyboards and guitars to create this dreamlike soundscape that is a lot of fun and is reminiscent of some great bands from the 80s, as well as a lot of very modern sounds. Josh is a huge Mets fan, which we talk about uh, quite a bit during the, uh, during the podcast here, so I'd recommend checking out their music on whatever streaming platform you use. And enjoy my chat with Josh. Here we go. So, Josh, tell me, uh, what came first for you, baseball or music? Probably baseball, to be honest. What, uh, what was your entry point into baseball? Um, the 86 Mets. How old were you in 86? Six. Okay, I was four. So we're we're similarly aged here. How much of that, of that team do you remember? Well, uh actually went to game seven of the world series. My dad was there. I was not, but my dad was there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. My dad called me. Well, I didn't know it was him. He called me and told me he had WF, WFN on the line. And if I knew if I could name the lineup of the Red Sox and the Mets, I'd win tickets to the, to the world series. And I was kind of a stat maniac as a kid. Like I, the first thing I learned, honestly, to read was the sports section. I kind of read it every day from like the age, whenever I, you learn to read five or six on. Um, and yeah, I, I just kind of rattled off 
the lineup, you know, Marty Barrett, uh, you know, uh, I've seen Mookie's, I, I mean, I guess I forget it now, but, uh, yeah, we ended up going, sitting in the upper deck, uh, saw Ed Koch in the lobby and lost my voice screaming so much when they won the world series. So it was fun. My, my dad's experience, but my, my uncle somehow had a connection for tickets. And he said, he called my dad and said, all right, we can either sit in the nosebleeds for game six or 10 rows behind home plate for game seven. Uh-huh. And they chose seven, but then thought the Mets were going to lose game six. And my dad actually went to bed. He was so mad. And then woke up yeah, the next day to find out that, you know, they won. And so they were 10 rows off the field for game seven. Yeah, I remember game six, like my mom kind of waking me up out of bed when they, in in the ninth inning to show that, because I went, I like cried when I went to sleep because I thought the game was over. Because it was yeah. pretty late. It was probably like 11, 10, 30 or 11 at that time. So, yeah, it's pretty wonderful. I still don't know how my dad got the tickets. You know, I, I know <laughs> it was a lie and it wasn't really WFN that I was talking to, but, uh, I kind of don't. I kind of don't want to ask him. I don't really want to know. I think it's. <laughs> right. I, I like him thinking that maybe. I still think that was real. It was like kind of like Santa Claus or something. So. Yeah, absolutely. You hold That's on to cool. that. You hold on so your parents can still, you know, uh, yeah. feel special and magical and all that. That's really cool. For though. sure. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, was there a Met that sort of stood out to you as uh, as your favorite? Um, I loved Mookie. I mean, he just was so much fun. Such an electric player. He just brought such energy to the game. Um, I remember being really tra- sad when they traded Kevin Mitchell. I loved him so much. And, mm-hmm. you know, he went on to really explode with the Giants. Um, I love Santana as well. I thought he was just a really smooth fielder. And for some reason, I just despised Ray Knight, even though he was <laughs> really you know, he was the World <laughs> Series MVP. I think he just kind of had a bad attitude. And I... I don't know. I kind of went for, I was a weird kid. I, I really liked like the really sweet players. I don't, Mookie is just like such a kid's favorite style player. He just was so much fun. Absolutely. When I was in college in 2001, I was living in Pittsburgh and uh, the Mets came out to open up PNC Park in Pittsburgh for a preseason two game set before the season began. So I, it was the second ever game at PNC Park and I was there and Mookie was introduced as the Mets first base coach. And this is like, you know, obviously the Internet existed, but I wasn't as online then. And I forgot that Mookie was the first base coach. I went nuts. I was like, yeah, Mookie Wilson. I was the only guy standing up cheering for Mookie. But, you know, it was such a cool thing at the time, I, you know, just uh He's a player that has such like an indelible effect on the fan base. We all, I think we all love Mookie. Yeah. I don't know how you couldn't I actually have a friend in, well, he used to live in Brooklyn named Mookie who was named after him by his oh, wow. parents. <laughs> He's a very successful, like uh, music manager. So yeah. that's funny. Um, yeah. All right. So that's how you got into baseball. How, what, what was your first music that you fell in love with? You know, Music wasn't really a, a big thing in my family. It, it's kind of like my, my grandmother was like a concert pianist and then it kind of skipped a generation. Like my, my mom didn't really do anything and neither did my dad. I kind of remember listening to like, my dad played a lot of like Neil Young and the Beach Boys. And then kind of like, I don't know. I, I mean, I was into whatever was pop, you know, like whatever I heard on MTV, I feel like it was so influential for me. I remember hearing like, I mean, I definitely liked a lot of awful stuff until about maybe fifth or sixth grade. 
And then, you know, I feel like I heard nine define, inch nails. Define awful stuff, though. Just like really bad. Like, like I like like Warrant and stuff. I thought that I, I liked <laughs> Winger. I thought it was cool. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. I just what, what was played for me. I, I don't know. I, I remember there was this really awful band called Trickster. That's like just the worst. And <laughs> so the the town the town in Jersey I currently live in, one of the guys from Trickster lives in. There you and, go. And <laughs> uh, his, his band will play. He has a cover band that will play around here. So I, I am familiar with Trickster. Yeah, it's pretty omnipresent. I grew up in Long Island, so it's you know I was listening to this podcast last year, Wind of Change. I don't know if you yep, heard it. Yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, about the scorpions yeah at one point one of the guys from skid row is getting interviewed and he's like in a park in amityville which is like the town where my dad lives and like oh this is just in the water i couldn't get away from this so <laughs> but yeah then i feel like 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 late in the elementary school like you know uh i heard nine inch nails and i heard um nirvana and pearl jam and then then i segued from that really into rap for a long time like you know nas and wu-tang and trap called quest and the beastie boys all that good so, new york hip-hop yeah i feel like that was what was kind of around me like i grew up in baldwin which is you know like public enemies from the town next to me like mm-hmm. we still like see them around sometimes and you know i thought they were the coolest so i don't know it was a really magical time for that music it's still like I don't know, kind of remarkable and like pretty punk. It was kind of the punk music, I think, for when I grew up. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, now, I, I'm always interested to hear like, so you, know, you mentioned Nine Inch Nails. And if, if you listen to Small Black's records, you know, you definitely can hear some of the like electronic, you know, um, yeah. influence there. What was the what was the artist that got you like making music? Like what what was the band of the artist that got you to pick up an instrument for the first time? I mean, I, I really think like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, um, Beastie Boys. I w- we were talking about songs we used to cover in high school with my like friends' bands the other day, and we uh-huh. covered like a bunch of the Beastie Boys instrumentals. And like Sabrosa and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did like Heart Attack Man by the Beastie Boys. Uh-huh. We did a Tribe Called Quest cover. <laughs> we still bugging out. Uh, well, I'm a pretty weird band. Um, we would do like Pearl Jam. I remember we did like uh, Yellow Lead Better. I mean, I don't know. That was just the coolest thing to me. And then in high school, I feel like I got more into like the goth stuff and like mm-hmm. the Cure and sure. the smiths and there was a kid who was two years old than me and had a really cool haircut and i just listened to everything he told me and <laughs> i didn't buy the trench coat but because he looked a lot cooler than than i would have so <laughs> you know i feel like that's where i found the music that maybe is you know more related to what small black is sure sure uh is there like an era of the cure that is your era i mean i love like head on the door um it's hard not i mean just the amount of i mean actually disintegration is my favorite um mine too yeah there's actually on the new record tampa there's like the first song there's like an older version of it that's like got like a minute and a half long intro Mm -hmm. and then we kind of started feeling like it was a single so we cut it 
to like 30 seconds and uh, as i listened to the the record today i'm like shit i really wish that it was a minute and a half like in the context of all the other songs like because i love that intro to disintegration like that like two minutes you have to get into the record is just so cool and it's like you're not going to turn that record off once you're once you get through that so I wonder if that's something that just the the propensity of streaming will somewhat oh. take away from, you know, and it's a it's a bummer because I, mean, I, I, I often say this. I'm happy I grew up when I did because I had to hunt for stuff like for I sure. would yeah. I would read a, a review of a record in a magazine and I go to my local record shop and it's a special order it for me. I had to pay for it in advance. It's all a gamble, right? You might get yeah. it and hate it. But when you hit on something you loved, it was really special. And I feel like sometimes an album would begin with a song that you didn't particularly like, but because you just plunked down 15 bucks for it, you're not going to have 15 bucks another month to buy another album. Like you're yeah. going to listen to that and you're going to get into it. It's going to be an important thing for you. And I wonder if today, like if a kid, if that introduction was a minute and a half, if, if, if the kid today would even bother listening to it or if they would just oh, you know, on, skip on Spotify, they're hundred percent going to skip to the next song or turn the record off so yeah if, they, if they're not like if they're not like ready if they're giving your band a chance out of nowhere so i don't know it's poisonous to think about this stuff like i think it's bad for your art but it, it i mean logistically it, it's just how things are you know i feel like there's no going back to that way and it it's so hard to explain to a kid like what it was like to spend 15 dollars on like uh, I'm just trying to think of an awful, like, like a sponge record, and be like, "This is." Hey, just... I will, I will rep for that second sponge record, Wax Static. There's like four good songs on that record, man. Okay. I remember, <laughs> I, I, but I get it. I get it I, totally. I'm sorry, I don't even really remember that record. I just remember like kind of being disappointed with it. But like, you cannot like quantify that to someone because no, they don't have, you don't have to do that. You should play and you see what it is and you give it a chance and yeah. And also, there is something to that where like if you spend money on the record you're going to really try to like it because you yes. spent the money on it so you will you will put up with you know like some insane track for like i feel like on rap albums all this this all the skits like, yeah like especially like the second wave of skits where like after wu-tang made all the good ones and everyone just tried to like rip them off and like, like, like jesus are you really gonna put me through this like the cd era like people be like it's got to be 71 minutes or this yeah. record is not worth my 16.99 at the wall you know like it's such a crazy moment of like people making weird decisions based on uh just like the format and and the, the way it's consumed yeah I, you know one of the great things about it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power. Loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The internet is, like, so when I was in college, I was huge. The Pixies were like my band in college. And I came from a small town in Jersey who no one, I, I knew no Pixies fans. And then I found Pixies fans on the internet in college. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I have a community here. But I think there's something really uh, character building about being the only guy in your town who has oh, yeah. a certain record or who's into a certain thing. And I wonder if if that, if if less interesting art will be coming out because people don't have those like slavish obsessions that we used to have. I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting question. Well, I definitely used to pick my friends based on like who had who had the band T-shirt that I like. I was like, right. oh, I'll, be, I'll be your friend now. Like, if you knew who, like, I'm trying to think of, it, uh, like, if you had a Joy Division shirt, uh, you know, we were gonna be best friends pretty much. You know, and now <laughs> I don't trust anybody. Like, anyone could can can just cop that stuff. Look at the Joy Division shirt. It's like, you know. Somebody like, walked into Urban Outfitters and saw that shirt yeah. and uh, has never yeah. heard the record. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You can't trust that anymore. So, yeah, I, just yeah, mail ordering stuff. I remember I was into this catalog called Burning Airlines, and I'd buy it pretty much, spend all, any money I had just buying records and zines and shirts from them. I feel like mm-hmm. my whole wardrobe was like Dinosaur Junior T-shirts from. Yep. From, from burning airlines so yeah i don't know it'll it, it, there's so much interesting music that people make but there's also like i just feel like kids are really inundated with the present now like i think it's really hard to look back i think there's so much to wade through that you almost have to like force people to look back i think a lot of like the you know, there's, I feel like there's a, a posting trend where you post like, this is the seven year anniversary of this and, and we'll do it. And I, I feel kind of embarrassed about it. Like this album came out six months ago today. Like, it's just like this weird, even like the Facebook things where they'll, they'll show you a picture of like your ex-girlfriend from 10 years ago. And you're like, Jesus, <laughs> man, I don't want to see this. <laughs> you know, it's like this constant loop that we're kind of being forced to, into. I don't know. It's pretty wild. On the other hand, I mean, if a kid wants to experience like, uh, you know, Robert Johnson, like early blues recordings, it's one click away. So even though the, yeah, the, sure. the, they're inundated with the present, it's so accessible. I just I don't know how many people are 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 be are choosing to accept to access that, you know. No, but yeah, when you do meet the kids that are like encyclopedic, like. It's pretty wild, like they know a lot more than we did at a much younger age. Oh, absolutely. With music, movies, art. Um, yeah, it, it's cool. It's really cool, you know, and they have gone through a lot of the references. It, it's, it's, it's rare, but it's like when, if you are one of those kids, like you really have a leg up, you know, yeah. I was like dying to get my friend's older brother to give me like a Primus record, you know, <laughs> like, 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 you know, uh, it, it was real hard to find stuff. So yeah. now did your, did your Mets fandom ever fade? Like when you got into music, I, I, I've talked to a couple of musicians and we've all kind of, we all said like when we got into music, everything else kind of took a backseat for a while. Did your Mets yeah. fandom ever take a backseat for you? Yeah. I feel like I kind of 
Yeah. Just for a couple of years in high school, I feel like I wasn't into it. Um, I feel like I got really into the Piazza, mm -hmm. Rude, uh, Alfonso era. I, I love those teams. I, I look at that as like some of my fondest memories of the Mets. I feel like they were just such such a fun fun team like kind of so anti the juice era in a lot of ways they were like a very strong defensive team mm -hmm. uh they stole a lot of bases they had a great staff they kind of fit shea stadium so you know pitchers first mantra just based on what the stadium is uh yeah i i, I worked in like a warehouse in long island during those days and like which we ended up recording some of our early band uh oh really yeah, stuff and and I would just we would just sit there and listen to the fan and listen to people melt down about the Mets all day and I don't know I just I really I think that's kind of the best way especially in New York to consume baseball like just to prep for this I like listened to a bunch of WFAN because I feel like I I'm never in the car anymore so I listen to the radio I was like oh this is why I love the Mets like just like dudes dudes melting down about you know the Mets bullpen like. Yeah. My my uncle, who's kind of one of my best friends, and he's a monster Yankees fan. He's when we got Batansis, I mean, he just will not stop texting me about what a bum he is. Like it's like his favorite favorite pastime to just shoot me a text when uh when he blows a game. So you know, but it, it's funny you talk about that 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 like late nineties, early two thousands team. I feel like those are also the definitive Mets teams because. Although we had a superstar in Piazza, like it seemed like Piazza very rarely was the guy who won the game for the Mets. It was always Benny Agbayani. It was love Agbayani. Yeah, it was always Timo Perez. Like it was always these like Timo. random role players. Yeah, were, yeah. And I feel like that's the. I feel like Mets. The Mets are such the younger brother in the New York baseball market. For sure. It was always the. It was always the Metsiest Mets who who got the who were doing the big things, and I love that. I loved. I loved being a fan of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. They were all kind of underdogs. Like to have your power hitter be your catcher is already kind of odd. Olerud is kind of like this odd first baseman. He's not a power hitter, but he's an amazing, uh, amazing hitter for average and, and, and an amazing fielder. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I loved Alfonso. I thought he was oh, yeah. just so excellent and so clutch. Um, he was a perfect player. I, I love that guy. Um, and Agbayani, I mean, how could you not love? He was like our Kevin Moss, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was, I remember like being in, being a freshman in college during the subway series and just wanting to just crawl into a hole. There was a guy who lived in my floor who oh, was yeah. a big Yankee fan from Long Island and just wanted to crawl into a hole and die whenever he would, you know, razz me about the Mets because there was no way. When you look at those teams, it was almost unfair how stacked the Yankees were against the Mets. Oh, yeah. But yeah. the Mets, I mean, the Mets helped. I really think, you know, if game one had gone a little bit differently. I think that the Mets would have, it could have been a very, very different World Series. But I feel like after that, after that year, until... 06 with the right Reyes team those were some of the roughest years of my Mets fandom just trying to find joy like in the Art Howe Mets you know those were tough years. yeah they they made I remember when they traded Scott Casimir who was like this sort of white you know knight and shining armor pitcher for nothing I, I 
I was like, I'm quitting. I'm done. I'm done with this team. <laughs> like, I, uh, we were like following this guy for a couple of years, waiting for him to come up. And then I feel like I quit for like a year after that. But uh, what's what's the playoff? It's 05 is the 06. 06 was the other 06. one. Yeah. Oh, my God. That catch. I still remember. I can't believe they didn't win that game on, an Andy, on the Andy Chavez catch. Yeah. And to lose to the Cardinals. Oh, man. Yeah. It's a team that won't go away ever. They just keep getting in there. I don't know how they do it. Uh, that in 06, I, I was going to a ton of games. Uh, I, I had a ticket plan. I had, like a, I had the 10 game ticket plan. And I would go like, it seems like every week, my brother and I would be like, hey, you want to go to the game today? Like, yeah, we would make it happen. And I feel like going, that was. That was the most fun season I remember as a spectator because that team was so good. They were in first place all but one day that season. Yeah. And we, we just don't get those Mets teams often. You know, it was so much. No, fun. no, um, you've got to, you've got to, got to, got to value it while you have it. So. Exactly. Yeah. You know, actually, actually at that time I was actually working for major league baseball. Were you really? Yeah. That's my one real job I had before. Uh, <laughs> what were you I, doing? Uh, I I worked for MLB Productions, which is like the video arm of MLB. And I basically I ran uh, the first year I, I edited the blooper reel for this week in baseball. <laughs> 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 and, and then I oh that's awesome. Like, yeah, and then I was the archivist, uh, and I kind of was in charge of like the tape library and like running, getting footage to teams and getting footage to from teams. So yeah. The- Editing the blooper reel for this week in baseball would have been my dream job. If you asked me when yeah, I was I 10 know. years old, like, know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would say, I want to work on the blooper reel for this week in baseball. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it was so much fun. Basically, I just had to go through every single game each day and we would get like a log from the stadium. This is pre digital stuff. We'd literally get tapes every day. Mm-hmm. And you know, you'd see like what the kid who was logging the game in San Diego would be like, you know uh gosh who was even on the padres then um uh, khalil green's like eating a chicken wing at, at on second, <laughs> second place because he used to keep him in his back pocket so i would just have to comb through this and figure out whatever the goofiest stuff was i do have a reel of like all stuff that they they won't show on tv that's very good oh really <laughs> like, yeah just like fans running on the field like there's this one shot that we have of like a fan running on the field at fenway this like very chunky guy and he's just sprinting and he, he's got a t-shirt and he's waving it over his head and he jukes like three security guards. <laughs> and they, they gets absolutely destructed. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I, I, I wish it was on the internet for people. It would, it would be a monster hit, but they, they don't want to encourage people running onto, yeah. onto the field. So. <laughs> This surely would. Now, who who are some of your favorite Mets currently? You know, the team is off to a slow start. We had rained out yesterday. Just announced it rained out again today. Doing a doubleheader tomorrow. But who are the players on the 2021 Mets that you're particularly fond of? Uh, I'm pretty excited about uh, Dom Smith. I mean, it's fun to have a big power bat on the Mets. You know, I feel like we're, we're always missing him. I saw I was, look, I was just going through the stats the other day, and I saw he hit 21 doubles in 52 games. It's like Jesus, yeah. like that's a pretty amazing pace, you know. I kind of love doubles hitters in general. Like those are my kind of guys. Like sort of bad. I don't know. They're just fun players, and and I feel like they're dangerous in in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, obviously DeGrom. Um, I think this McNeil guy is really pretty interesting. Uh, I haven't watched him much, but his numbers are pretty, I don't know, they're pretty compelling. Um, he, he's a player that uh, I feel like, you know, when, when you're watching him, he has he he uses a bat without a handle on it, like without a nub yeah. on it. This is the caveman bat, and he swings at everything. And but he but he gets he gets on base, he gets a lot of hits, and uh, he is exciting to watch, for sure. I love I love guys that swing at everything, even though that's very anti 2021 baseball. But like I do miss the Vlad Guerrero, just like golf and homers <laughs> off know, the like, shoot tops yeah yeah we've gotten really smart but something i just miss i kind of miss dudes just crapping away you know it's pretty yeah. fun so yeah. yeah um it's pretty wild how much the game has changed like since i well you know when i worked at baseball i was very you know i watched it incessantly and it's like some of these things like you know even just batting the pitcher eighth, like that was kind of unthinkable in right, 2005, yeah. 2006, you know, it's like teams do it all the time, you know, these first inning starter th- things, openers like that. Yeah. I mean, you would have gotten crucified if you tried to do that then like, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's fun. And then, and I think hopefully it's going to lead baseball to, uh, I don't know, just, you know, we, I think we all know it, it needs to speed up a little bit and it, I don't know. Hopefully, it's just going to lead to a new era that's kind of a bit different, and you know, it'll push forward like all the other 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 sports have. So, yeah, and I think every ten or fifteen years, you notice a, a change in some part of the game, right? Like, yeah, for, for you sure. know, uh, I remember when I was uh, when I was, a, I guess, in like middle school was when sort of the home run came back after a long time of there being not a lot of power in the game. You know, after sure. that strike. In '94, the home run came back. I remember my dad just being like, "People love the home run, but I'd I'd rather see it. I'd rather see a you know a bunt single or something." And it's been like, yeah. "Dad, you're so out of touch," you know. But like, but every every generation has their their style of baseball. So, and it all comes back eventually. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's interesting with the Mets team this year, where I mean, the lineups is really looking like the strength of the teams, with especially with the pitching injuries right now, and that's like yeah. very very antithetical for typical Mets. Mets <laughs> right. Teams, exactly. You know? yeah. We're used to just like a grinding out some runs and then just like somebody, you know, somebody with a 3.4 ERA kind of just pitching eight innings or something. So yeah. it's, it's fun. And, and, and I, I think, I feel like you have more of a margin for error with a great lineup versus a great staff, you know, the playoffs yeah. can, can definitely throw the balance the other way. Cause it's such a smaller sample size, but, Across this long season, if you're just mashing, you're going to win some games. So, yeah. Um, so before I let you go, I want to talk about Cheap Dreams, the new record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, how long were you guys working on this album for before it came out? So long. I mean, we haven't put a record out for five years, so we probably were working on it for two or three years. Okay. Um, it was pretty much done, like, at the beginning of quarantine. Like, we just had to – we probably had half of it mixed, and – we just kind of sat on it for a while with, with the inability to tour or kind of do anything on it. we just were like, we might as well get the album campaign together, get videos together and not like rush it. And it's really nice to have those extra couple months at the end of the process. Sure. to Like think about it. Cause when you're in the kind of touring grind of like, we got to put a record out every year and a half or two years so we can tour on it and live and exist. 
have money. Um, I don't know. It, it, it can lead you to something, you know, I feel like those records are the ones where I, there's a couple songs where I'm like, eh, I, I would have changed something on this. Like right. we didn't have enough time to pro properly sit on it. But again, then this, this record took forever because we had no, no checks and balances and no one telling us to do anything. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, did you feel like, you know, sometimes you feel like you finish a record and it really represents where you are at that moment, but then you sat on the record for a year or so. Do you feel yeah. like this still accurately represents where the band is and where you are? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't feel, I don't feel beyond it yet. I feel like still the material that we've been working on recently is, is, I think there's like a couple more tracks that were part of this this song group that will come come out later that need mm -hmm. to be kind of finished, um, and then yeah, I think then I do have kind of a vision of where to go with the next batch of material. It's pretty different, and I think I think we just need to kind of re get together as a band. Like we're kind of still everybody's still in different stages of how COVID friendly and safe they're feeling so right, we've right. gotten together we've gotten together a couple of times but it's like under you know it, it just it's not it's not it's everyone's got to get a test and, and do all this stuff so i think once that you know i, I I've, I've got the vaccine now and most of the bands on their way i think that then we'll kind of that'll kind of mark the next period i mean i feel like this this period for everybody in the last year has been a, a, a long limbo and sure yeah um I've worked on a lot of stuff, but I don't know if it's any of it's really like a new small black record. I just like just trying to stay afloat and, and do anything that seemed like fun. So Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are there a couple of, of other artists records or other artists that you feel like really inspired this album? Yeah. A lot of 80s stuff. I mean, I love this band called the blue Nile. They're a Scottish mm -hmm. band from the eighties. Yeah. Um, We've been ripping them off for like eight years, nine years, definitely <laughs> since our 2013 record. It's funny. Somebody told me, I remember like probably in the band I had in 2006 watching the Andy Chavez catch, uh, this guy, this producer who's gone on to like, he did a bunch of the real estate records, uh, okay. mm -hmm. did the Walkman. He's a really talented guy. And he was like, you know, your, your music kind of sounds like the Blue Nile to me. And I didn't know what it was. And I didn't even listen to it. And then a couple of years later, I I saw an interview with this folk artist, Vashti Bunyan. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah, and she, I love her. I think she's just, I love her records. And she's like, once I listened to this band, I didn't listen to anything else. So I was like, all right, I should probably listen to this now since this guy recommended to me and this this artist I really respect is, is you know, giving it pretty much the best possible review. And I, and I heard it and I was like, oh, yeah. I love this. Like this is <laughs> my favorite music. It's so beautiful. Um, so yeah, we're, I mean, they're definitely a touchstone. Um, talk, talk. Uh, I mean, the Cure. Um, I'm kind of blanking right now. I'll, you know, a lot of like we're trying to find our little niche in that classic, you know, '80s songwriting space and bring it into 2021. You know, with our, our production and process is way different than those bands are but what we love about it is it's a it's like this great moment where sort of songwriting really met technology and and gear at at, at and i and i think a lot of that's i don't know I, I think that's that moment's kind of faded and 
there's, I don't know. I, I, I just think songwriting with electronic music generally doesn't like go together. And that's kind of the spot we like to exist in and, and, uh-huh. and work in. So I think what's really interesting about like the early to mid eighties is that you have these bands that are clearly inspired by the sort of ethos of punk, but sound nothing like punk and are going to electronic instruments and are going to like sequence stuff and using synthesizers and all that. Yeah. And I feel like there was this real batch of creativity of taking this aesthetic that is totally different than sort of the music that inspired it. And I think that's why you get that these, like, I think to me, the, to me, the cure is one of the most interesting bands like of, of the last 30 or 40 years, because I just feel like there's no real antecedent to them. They, they took all these influences and made it something purely their own. And you mentioned talk talk. I feel like I've never heard a band effectively sound like talk talk, right? It just, it's just no. its own thing. And there's, yeah. and uh, I think it's really cool when bands today try to find something that is uniquely theirs in the same way that those bands are. Yeah. I mean, it's a great challenge and, and what makes a band stand out and be able to stick around. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not, uh, uh, I was like, uh, last question for you. I, I know you guys recently covered uh, Phoebe Bridger's song, and yeah. uh, she was she was a fan. She said it fucks. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You should put that in your resume. You know, it fucks Pretty Phoebe Bridger's. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, what else are you listening to nowadays? What should our listeners be checking out aside from the Blue Nile? Um, yeah, definitely Phoebe's last record. I mean, Punisher. I'm sure most people have heard it at this point. I feel like it was literally everywhere. Um, I always blank. So I'm going to look at my, oh, I really like this new song by this artist, Ethel Kane, the song Crush. It's really beautiful. Um, hmm. I was so listening to Small Black kind of nonstop for the past <laughs> year, like doing this record. Um, do you, do you oh, find it? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I really like The Weather Station. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's Her new record is awesome and like i think she kind of pulls from the talk talk vibe for sure um there's these two rap kids from tampa florida called they hate change i think they're really great um they're kind of remind me of like like out like outcast or something but like rapping over like jungle music jungle beats and stuff like like drum and bass uh they're very cool um I think our label mate, George Clanton, Negative Gemini, mm-hmm. I would highly recommend their stuff. I think they're great. Um, 100% Electronica is uh, our new label, and I just think they roll, and what they have going on is very fun, and uh, it's just a good vibe. You, you had said before that you know working on this record, you were listening to a lot of small black stuff. Do you find yeah. it hard to go back and listen to your own stuff? Um, I think there's a point where you don't want to listen to it for a couple of years and then it's, it's, then you have the test of time to know if you think it's good or not anymore. <laughs> so I, 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 remember, been... I interviewed Ben Lee, the musician once, and he said that oh, he, yeah. he would rather listen to stuff he made when he was 15 than stuff he made like five years ago. He felt like the, the more space that was between it, the easier it was to listen to. Yeah, it's easier to get back into that or like understand that headspace from uh from distance yeah where where like 
sometimes you're a couple years out from something and you start, you listening, you just listen to everything you think is wrong with it. And you, you don't listen to the song. Right. You're like I, I would change this. I would change that. And then you can't enjoy what, what was probably good about it in, in the first right. place. So yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I hadn't listened to our new chain record. Like it came out in 2010 and we did like a listening party thing. And I was like, Oh, I, my, my memory of it was like, I think this was, I think this could have been better. And, and I, I think it's like a little weird and not, uh, I don't know. It's not exactly right. And in listening to it, I was like, Oh no, what's good about this record is that it was really weird. And all the choices we made were really bizarre and that we kind of were a lot greener than we are now. And that those choices is why it's a unique sunny record and why people liked it. So. And now if folks want to find out more about you, more about small black, where, where, where would you direct them on the internet? I'd probably just go to our Instagram, uh, small black music and just check out small black on Spotify. I mean, I know that's what y'all listen on. So, so put it on, <laughs> throw the stream on, see if you like it. And uh, yeah, go Mets. Well, folks, thanks for listening to another Amazing Avenue in conversation. We truly appreciate it. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com for lots more Mets content, news, game recaps, more podcasts, whatever you want. It's at AmazingAvenue.com. You can find this show on Facebook. Uh, you, sorry, you can find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show on Spotify, Stitcher, um, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get podcasts, you can find our shows. So please go check those out. Follow Small Black on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Brian Needs an App. And until next time, let's go Mets.